This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, November 9th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Philip Truesdale transports people from home to doctor's appointments and back. The Commonwealth of Kentucky has a problem with Truesdale trying to help its residents. They say he needs a certificate of need. Larry Salzman of the Pacific Legal Foundation has taken up Truesdale's case. We spoke last week in Colorado Springs. We filed a federal lawsuit in Kentucky on behalf of Philip Truesdale and his company, Legacy Medical Transport, to challenge certificate of need laws, what we call a competitor's veto. So what does he do? Philip bought an ambulance used. He was trying to create a family business, and he saw there was a need for non-emergency medical transport. Now, what is the, what is that need? The need is that you're not having to end up paying for a trip to a, a hospital or an insurance company doesn't want to pay for an, a full-on ambulance to come to your house to take you to a routine medical appointment? Yeah, part of it is the need of, of cost savings. Part of it is simply people have special needs when they get to the hospital. Maybe you could take a cab or an Uber, but if you have dialysis and you're hooked up to an IV, if you are you know, having surgery where your muscles are impaired, you need to lay down on a stretcher, he has a van with a stretcher and he can attend to you. And it's just more service than you would get from uh an Uber and a lot less service than you need from a full-blown ambulance. So everyone already knows what you're about to say with respect to uh, this guy who's innovated in a way and found a niche in a market and tried to save uh, people money. Um, so what happened? Well, especially in Kentucky, Ohio, where there's a shortage of ambulances. Well, he's in Aberdeen, Ohio, which is a couple miles across the border from Kentucky. And he has a problem where he takes people to the hospital or to medical appointments from uh, Ohio into Kentucky, but he can't bring them back. And he can't bring them back because he needs a special license called a certificate of need in order to operate in Kentucky. All right. So uh, what certificate of need laws exist, is it primarily in healthcare? A lot of transportation. So that's partly how they catch the non-emergency medical uh, transport. So you know, moving companies... Taxi cabs, the medical community, you know, hospital beds, things like that, you need certificate of needs for certain industries. If we go back all the way to the 1920s and 30s when these laws first got up and going, ice delivery, for instance, was another business where you needed a certificate of need for. All right, then. Uh, ice delivery, thankfully, is no longer an industry uh, unless you need a lot of ice. Uh, so, you know, what is the what is the what are the claims uh, being made in the lawsuit? Well, unlike any other business, you can't just set up. You need this special license. In order to get the license, you need to notify all of your competitors, and they get a special right to intervene, to go to the state to protest you starting up your business. And what we say is that that is the use of government power for raw economic protectionism. And protectionism is not a legitimate interest of the government under our Constitution. Now, uh, I've heard arguments from various lobbyists in uh, Kentucky my year, many years living and working in Kentucky. And uh, some of the arguments they make is, look, these other firms, they make investments and uh, they're heavily regulated. And when they make these investments, they need to have some better idea that those investments are going to pay off. And when you just allow anybody to start up a business to compete with some element of the the either the hospital business or the clinic business or something like that, that you're you're uh, actually impinging on them. And that is an argument for a command and control economy. And in America, we embrace free enterprise. And these competitors veto laws 
laws that allow competitors to prevent you from opening your own enterprise with your own capital, taking your own risks, finding consumers who want to deal with you. That is a right that you have in America. It's part of your economic liberty. So uh, in this case, where does it stand right now? We filed the lawsuit in late September. We're waiting on either an answer or a motion to dismiss from the government. Typically, governments file a motion to dismiss in these cases. We actually have a lot on our side going for us in this case in Kentucky. Several years ago, we filed another competitor's veto case in Kentucky, and we won. It was the first competitor's veto struck down on the grounds of the 14th Amendment since the New Deal, but it only affected uh, moving companies for various vagaries of the law. And here, Philip came to us and said, wow, I thought I was free to operate because you guys won that lawsuit, but they've, they've come after me. And so we said, look, this separate law covers medical transport let's do the right thing. Let's take down this law. Okay. So what is there a principal distinction to be made uh, between people who, you know, two guys in a truck, three guys in a truck, and a guy who's providing some sort of medical service? Well, on its face, you'd think it would be simpler in the moving context, right? All you should need is maybe a willingness to work hard, insurance, and a good truck, and you're in the moving business. Why, why in the world would you need to protect people in the moving industry? Once you get medicine involved, people say, oh my gosh, there's medicine, there's lives involved. That's all true. But we're talking about non-emergency medical transport. We're not talking about ambulances with paramedics on them. We're not talking about people with sirens and, and uh, you know the ability to run through traffic and perhaps increase uh, safety hazards. All we're really talking about is an Uber with some special equipment. It is not expensive. These rides cost $200, $250. They're not the multi-thousand dollar ambulance rides that maybe you might expect medicine uh, or hospitals invest a lot in their ambulances to, to achieve. If you were to win this case, what does that mean? Uh, it's in federal court. Uh, presumably, if you win at uh, some district, only that district is affected. Is that right? Yep. Probably only that district is affected by the injunction, but it sets something up perhaps for the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, and we can go much broader into other states. This is actually part of PLS national initiative to abolish the competitor's veto. We've sued in six states before. Those include Oregon, Missouri, Montana, West Virginia, uh, once before in Kentucky. And we had a regulation change through administrative action in Pennsylvania. We unsuccessfully sued. Uh, we were dismissed on procedural grounds in Nevada, and, and perhaps we will go back there someday if we find the right client, the right situation. Okay. So, uh, you know, a lot of states have these laws. They apply to not just transportation. Uh, they apply to little clinics in mm -hmm. uh you know like in a big box retailer that might like to start a small clinic to provide very basic cheap medical services strep tests things like that yeah something like 24 or 26 states depending on how you look at the laws have some kind of competitors veto that affects medicine and maybe it add if you have to have hospital beds if you want to add a radiological equipment like an mri machine some cases in washington state uh, for instance just having a sonogram which is not an expensive piece of equipment requires a certificate of need so i think that may be the next step in this kind of initiative. You know, we want to wipe out all the laws that discriminate against new competitors in the transportation industry, see where the precedent falls, and then push further because all of these laws are making things more expensive for consumers, depriving people of choice, robbing entrepreneurs of the right to earn a living, and we think they need to be challenged. Larry Salzman directs litigation at the Pacific Legal Foundation. We spoke last week in Colorado Springs. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.